Stay tuned for True Talk. Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 uh, with Ahmed, Summer, and Frank, who picked that music. Uh, you can blame him. Um, I don't know. It's not really True Talk genre, Frank, but... Um, I told you, I get close. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, on today's program, we're going to be speaking about uh, Palestine. Uh, there is a group in Florida called... Peace for Palestine, and one of their board members will be on speaking uh, with us today. And so, uh, about their activities and their work, a lot has been happening. Actually, I've been out of the studio for um, a couple of weeks. I don't know if anyone noticed, or if actually anyone cared. What is that? Six? Six what? Oh, oh yeah, no, you're counting? No, it hasn't been really. 
Uh, I might have been, Frankenstein has been six, but I'm not sure. I can neither deny or confirm that. But some of these shows I did remotely. So I guess I was kind of here uh, virtually. Summer is not here, but she should be returning soon. She's actually traveling. Um, so Palestine, um, obviously the world's longest running uh, occupation is still continuing. Uh, and here at WMNF, or specifically True Talk, we often talk about this um, sensitive topic. It's not sensitive for me, but it's sensitive for some uh, folks, some of the people that may not be fans of our uh, radio show. They, I guess they are uncomfortable that we're talking about this um, occupation. Some of these people, they just want to pretend like it doesn't exist. Like somehow they want to buy into the narrative that the Palestinians are the aggressors, the Israelis are the victims, and um, that uh, the Israelis um, are surrounded by all these enemies and they have no choice but to take these certain measures to protect themselves or or the line that we often hear from um, politicians that Israel has the right to defend itself, uh, which is not something that anyone can argue against. However, um, that right does not translate into subjugating and oppressing an entire population um, and, you know, taking away their rights. Just because you want to defend your rights doesn't mean that you will trample uh, on the rights of others. So, um, while I was away, also, you know, there was this uh, attack on Gaza that took uh, the lives of many Palestinians. Many of them are children. Um, this is what some have described as as um, Israel's policy of mowing the lawn. Every couple of years, or if not every year, Israel carries out certain attacks in the Palestinian territories, uh, whether it's in Gaza or the West Bank, to, especially in Gaza, to quote-unquote mow the lawn. Um, uh, but you wouldn't have known that by watching television or the media here in the U.S. Um, actually... So much so that the BBC, um, you know, BBC, I do like the BBC uh, uh, online and I do watch their or read their news. And but oftentimes, just like other media outlets, when it comes to the topic of Israel, um, they don't get it or they choose not to get it. So they actually did a um, an explainer page, Israel, Gaza, violence, uh, the conflict explained and they go into the one, a 100-year-old issue. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, I mean, the British, they have a lot to do with what's happening and the conflict uh, and the occupation that's taking, currently taking place by the um, uh, Israelis against the Palestinians. Uh, for a long period of time, they actually controlled that land, and then they handed a big portion of it to the uh, Israelis, uh, who were not Israelis, because 
Israel did not exist at that time. Israel just came into existence in 1948. Uh, before that, there wasn't uh, an Israel in, per se. There was Palestine. And But the narrative now is that they'll tell you that, oh, well, Palestinians never existed and there was no such place as Palestine, despite the fact that all the maps before named that part of the world as Palestine. Um, and the currency said Palestine, the map said Palestine, the letters and the stamp said Palestine. Everything pointed in the history says Palestine, but somehow um, this is... Uh, that narrative is being changed and they're trying to rewrite history that Palestine never existed and it's always been Israel. Uh, Jews that lived in that part of the world before 1947 were Palestinian. They had Palestinian documents uh, to travel. Um, but again, anyway, I'm waiting for our, our guests to join us. Um, but... In the in the BBC report that was, you know, the explainer, it says, what are the main problems? There are a number of issues which Israel and the Palestinians cannot agree on. One, these include what should happen to Palestinian refugees, whether Jewish settlements in the occupied West Bank should stay or be removed, and um, whether the two sides should share Jerusalem. And perhaps most tricky of all, whether Palestinian state should be created alongside Israel. How is that the trickiest of all when for the longest time, especially since a, um, the meeting, uh, the Oslo Accords, which were signed, which was basically a peace treaty between the Israelis, Israeli government, the Palestinian Authority, uh, envisioned a two-state solution where Palestinians would have a state called Palestine and Israelis would have Israel. However, that's never come to existence. And oftentimes when you hear pundits and politicians saying, well, uh, Palestinians don't recognize Israel's right to exist. Uh, if you look at any map, just you know, open up Google right now and look at the Google map, you'll find Israel. You will not find Palestine. Palestine does not exist today. It's been erased off the map um, and has uh, now just called the territories or the occupied territories. Um, on the map, they'll call it the West Bank and Gaza, but there's no country called Palestine on the map. Um, so when you talk about, you know, erasing a community, um, ethnic cleansing, or erasing them off the face of the earth, um, well, if they don't have a country called Palestine, um, or a country at all of their own, then how is that a two-state solution? Which the United States continues to say that they're advocating for, including the Biden administration. So um, I'm actually going to take a short break and um, bring my guest on, and then uh, we'll be right back after the short break. Um, I'm actually in a different studio right now, which I'm trying to get familiar with. It's like... And everything is on the opposite side. So when you get used to one studio where everything's on the left side and now everything's on the right side, well, it kind of throws you off. It's like you're used to eating with your right hand and then all of a sudden you have to switch. Um, that's me on my keyboard. Okay, in honor of Palestine, we'll play this song and we'll be right back.
Only if I can find where this is. Back to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. And um, uh, Summer, as I said, is traveling. I'm here in the studio. And now I'm joined um, by Susan Hoder um, of Palestine, a Peace for Palestine organization. Welcome to True Talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, Susan, uh, what is your organization all about? Our organization is called Partners for Palestine. Oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I I called it Peace for Palestine, which also would be appropriate, but Partners for Palestine, yeah, go ahead. What is it about? Um, It's primarily an educational organization that um, seeks to inform Americans and Floridians in particular, since we are a Florida organization, uh, about the situation in Palestine, about the Palestinian people, about who they are, and to dispel a lot of myths that people have heard for so many years about the people and the situation they live in. Now, have you yourself, uh, now you're a Floridian? Or where are you from? Um, I'm a I'm a full time Floridian as of two years ago, and we've uh, had a place in Florida for about 12 years, so... I love it here and um, have been active in some of the United Methodist Church activities with the Florida Conference before this time. I served on a peace group um, with the Methodist Church uh, for a number of years. Um, and this this new group is independent. It's a group of Florida citizens who felt that it was time for a new voice to come on the scene, to be able to speak objectively without being under the umbrella of any other larger group 
We are simply citizens who uh, are aware of a situation that others may not be completely aware of. We'd like to share what we know um, and we'd like to provide an opportunity for dialogue uh, about a subject that is just often swept under the rug and avoided. I think that um, there's so much to learn about the situation in Israel and Palestine. Um, we work with so many people of every faith who have been to the region and who have seen what's taking place there and who've come back really transformed. Um, in my own situation, I first went 18 years ago to the region um, and I made a point of spending time in the homes of Jewish, Christian and Muslim families. I wanted to go independently mm -hmm. and I wanted to see for myself what was happening and form my own opinions without being led uh, by any other group or agenda. No, mm -hmm. go ahead. Go ahead. I'm no, good. I was going to ask you, um, Are you, you're not Palestinian, right? No, I'm not. I grew up in the deep south in a small town in Georgia. I uh, had a very traditional uh, upbringing and a very um, traditional understanding of situations in the Middle East. But what what piqued your interest about that part of the world or Palestine specifically? Southern, you know, girl just, you know, <laughs> like it's not an everyday thing sure. that um, people from yeah. the South are going to be interested in yeah. Palestine. And usually when they're interested in that part of the region, it's maybe through their, you know, Baptist church or something, and they end up somehow identifying with the Israeli side. So, I, I mean... I, Help us understand well, why right why you became interested and you know and to the point where you actually traveled there. Right. Um, in uh, I, I well to to back up, I did major in international affairs in college, um, and I uh, was working for a big corporation in Rhode Island at in uh, early in my career. Um, I was in 2002 uh, uh, taking some time off and I began to read the articles in the paper beyond just the headlines. I found that often the headlines would proclaim that one situation had taken place. And if you read to the bottom of page 12 in the article, you'd see that it was preceded by uh, an, another situation that wasn't being covered in the news. Mm -hmm. um, about that time, I was on the board of the local YMCA, and we were visited by some Palestinian men from mm. East Jerusalem. Okay. They were lovely, articulate men. One was uh, a member of the Rotary Club. They were so completely different from what I had always thought Palestinians would be. And that was one thing that piqued my interest. They began to correspond with me when they returned because I told them I would like to learn more. Mm. Um, and suddenly in the middle of the conflict in 2002, I found myself receiving firsthand accounts from people uh, in that region, people whom I met and trusted. So that was one thing. Um, we were also visited by some German uh, relatives who told me about that time that they they hold their parents accountable mm -hmm. for not being aware of what was happening to another people 
during their young adult lives. And they asked me what I would tell my children when I found out what had happened to the Palestinian people on my watch. Mm. And certainly the situations are entirely different, but the situation of one dominant group um, oppressing another group is uh, is apparent in many situations and in this one in particular. So what I'm taking away from your uh, what you're saying is something as simple as you know a visit to your YMCA by a group of um, uh, some uh, Palestinians actually made a difference. Uh -huh. Sometimes you don't you know it people is. that are doing this outreach or you know visiting folks. Yeah or contacting or networking, they don't realize uh, the impact that that could have. Uh, but for you specifically, what you were seeing firsthand by interacting with these individuals from Palestine was different than what you you know, had envisioned based on the biases or the narratives that you've been hearing in the media. Absolutely. And that piqued your interest. And that, was, that was further cemented when I actually went to the area in 2002, um, in 2004, I'm sorry. In 2002, I called the minister of our local Methodist church, where, which we attended at the time. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I'm disturbed by the things I'm reading in the news. And I'm seeing a lot of things buried deep in the articles that are not being covered um, by the press. And I would like to find out how we can help bring this to an end how it can make a difference. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, there is a, a rabbi I know in town who's also interested in this and would like to have some sort of dialogue about it. And there are some former State Department people, a former chairman of a bank. Let's get these people together and see what we can learn. So we had a two-year um, dialogue group about the situation in the Middle East from 2002 to 2004. And um, we learned from all different perspectives. And I was being asked to comment and speak by local organizations. And I felt that I couldn't do that unless I'd actually been and spent time there. So I was able through the different contacts to form opportunities to stay in the homes of Jewish, Christian, and Muslim families in the region. So and what it did was you, 2004 that I went to. 2004, obviously a few years after 9-11, the tragic events there, there was the war on terror that's happening. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of turmoil. Um, what did you see when you went to Palestine? I was just really blown away by the difference between the reality on the ground and what I had always heard growing up. Give us as some examples. An American. Well, first of all, I think the thing that impressed me was the incredible dignity of so many Palestinian people. Now, I don't like to make sweeping statements about any group because within each group, there are all different sorts mm -hmm. of people. But overall, I found a dignity, a warmth, um, and a, a will need to communicate the, the experience that these people were suffering under daily. They go about their daily lives with just so much um, 
determination, quiet determination for the most part. And there are people who have uh, had violent responses to what is really a very violent situation. Um, but I found so much commonality with the people in the West Bank that I stayed with and in East Jerusalem at the YMCA, through the churches. There were Palestinian Christians that I became familiar with and I worshiped in their churches. Um, Palestinians are a very diverse group of people. Mm. And we in this country tend to lump them all into one category, which is very unfortunate because we're denying ourselves the opportunity to know artists and musicians and incredibly talented, articulate people who live there. I also met a lot of Jewish people in Israel who were working to change the situation. Um, and I met some who had different views of the Palestinian people. Um, on my second trip, I spent time in the home of a woman who uh, was a Holocaust survivor and okay. her grandson had been killed um, in the conflict. And so I very, I, I, I very much appreciated the chance to hear her perspective as well. Did you see these uh, checkpoints and um, the, you know, the, the things that we, that's often not reported in the news that, you know, how life is so difficult for Palestinians there, um, you know, versus how it is for uh, Jews that live in the same area. It's very different. It's very different. And there is, as you, as you probably know, a number of human rights organizations globally have, have issued reports in the past two years that outline the many forms of apartheid that are taking place there. There are different road systems, different legal systems. When you say different road systems, when you say different road systems, what do you uh, explain that to our um, average listener? Sure. Uh, Israeli roads are well-paved, lighted, um, modern superhighways like we have here in this country. Hmm. And the Palestinian roads are uh, by and large potholed, uh, crumbling. They are not in good repair at all. At the time that I was there, both in 2004 and on my second trip in 2010, we saw long, long lines of cars and trucks waiting to get through checkpoints for such simple things as reaching their place of work, reaching school. Um, so when, you say, when, you, when you say Palestinian road, I mean, are there highways? And this is what uh, I hear. I've never seen it yeah. myself, but that yeah. there are these super highways you're talking about. Um, these are roads that only the Jewish community can drive on? Yes. So they are. It, it's they, not there like, are different yeah. license plate colors. Oh, so based um, on your license plate, what highway you can travel on? Yes, there are exceptions in some cases. So, but for the most part, um, Jewish people travel on well-maintained roads in the West Bank, which is beyond the green line. Um, and the green line was uh, 
set in 1948, 1949, at the end of the conflict when Israel was established and is generally regarded as um, the line within which Israel exists to the west and the um, Palestinian territories exist to the east. Let so me, these roads that we're speaking of are built on Palestinian land mm -hmm. in the West Bank. Wow. Um, and the Palestinians have been surrounded by a system of fences, tall walls, 25 feet high, uh, in some cases, that keep them from their farmland that separate them from their uh, other Palestinian communities, often from their places of work. I visited a town called Abu Dis, and there was a wall that went right down the middle of the street in Abu Dis. Wow. And the hospital was on one side, but the, and a lot of the doctors who worked at the hospital, my father was a doctor, I could relate to this, and he had to go to the hospital and make rounds several times a day. Well, these doctors have to go a very, very long way around the wall and through a checkpoint to even get to their patients on the other side. It's so, it's almost impossible to comprehend the real um, injustice of this kind of separation of communities from each other. Let me just tell people who you are. I'm um, speaking with Susan Hoder. Am I saying it right? Hoder or Hoder? Suzanne. Suzanne, yeah. sorry. That's okay. And what about your last name? Hoder is fine. Hoder. Uh, she is from, she's a board member with Partners for Palestine. It's a Florida organization independent, and they're advocating for the rights of Palestinians and peace there. Um, <clears throat> according to your website, uh, it says that you envision a nonviolent, just resolution in Palestine that guarantees full equality uh, of rights for all people. Uh, so that would include Palestinians uh, and Jews in that part of the world. And she uh, was just telling me about her experience of some of the things that she witnessed when she visited Palestine in 2004 and 2010 and describing these uh, dual highway systems, um, highways, depending on the type of license plate that you have, if you're Jewish um, you'd have one type of license plate, but if you're Palestinian, you have a different license plate. And depending on that license plate, you can go on the Jewish-only highways, these super highways. But if you uh, have the Palestinian license plate, you'd have to go on these uh, roads that are full of checkpoints with long lines. Then you also described to me what it seems like, you know, something you out of World War II, uh, like the Berlin Wall or something that separates uh, a cities. Uh, people from their own uh, workplaces, hospitals, schools, etc., cetera, uh, which is obvious that this is a form of apartheid. I mean, Jimmy Carter was one of the first uh, public figures in America to call it apartheid, and he got a lot of flack for it. Um, others are also saying the same thing. I think you referenced some international human rights reports like Amnesty International just came out and basically publicly, you know, in the past year with their report saying that it's apartheid system. Um do you fear, as others that have come out and attacked, or not attacked, criticized Israel for what is obvious a form of injustice that's happening there, of being accused of being anti-Semitic? Have you been accused of that, and how do you deal with it? Well, 
I think there is a knee-jerk reaction um, on the part of many Americans for anyone who who has a different interpretation of what's going on in Israel and Palestine. And yes, I've, I've heard that term, but I am confident that I, and I share the fact that I work with so many Jewish people and um, who are committed to this endeavor to uh, bring a just resolution. Um, I've met with them in Israel. I've uh, I meet with them here all the time, and I I also you know just know the I know the amazing motivation for human rights that unites all of us regardless of our faith. Um, your as part of your organization, Partners for Palestine, do you support um, the BDS movement, which is the boycott, divestment, and sanctions? movement. Um, and um, why should others, if you do support it, why should others be part of that? Um, well, I support the any kind of a nonviolent action that can help call the world's attention to what's taking place in that area. In South Africa, boycott and divestment were used successfully to bring attention to the injustice that was taking place. Um, I've met Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the late Archbishop, and uh, I know that he and other leaders of that movement in South Africa felt that boycott investment played a very important role in bringing that injustice to an end. Um, in my own experience, I know that when I read about a situation, for example, the the fires and warehouses in Bangladesh that um, hurt so many people, I look to find the company that owned those warehouses and I don't buy those clothes. I don't want to invest in those companies because I know that they have irresponsible practices. And I think that any company that is supporting this apartheid situation that we spoke about um, is not a company that I want to uh, invest in. It's not a company that I want to buy goods from. And it already has made a difference in, uh, in our experience of watching companies that have been have found that they are losing business because of the boycott initiatives. Some of those companies have actually moved back to the Israeli side of the green line. Wow. And I think it shows that there really is an impact that can be positive from these things. They're portrayed as very negative and punitive, but in fact, they speak to the First Amendment right of every American to decide how to spend our own money, where to invest our own dollars, um, and what kind of behavior that we want to support. I'm surprised so, by the amount of resistance that exists from politicians to try to um, stop any type of this BDS movement. There's so much money that's being invested um, into fighting BDS 
I mean, uh-huh. uh, oftentimes you hear in the media about how violent the Palestinians are and how threatened the Israelis are by these violent Palestinians. But okay, here's a movement that's nonviolent, that's peaceful, and it's just basically telling people don't buy this stuff until these people give Palestinians equal rights. Um, you sure. would think that people would support nonviolence, but why is there so much resistance? And if you could, exp- you know, maybe mention some of these uh, efforts, especially using, uh, you know, laws to try to stop any dissent or um, to um, to punish those that will get involved in the boycotting uh, or divestment or sanction or calling for sanctions against Israel. Um, you would think this is protected, uh, you know, speech or activity by the Constitution, but. Uh, why is there so much effort to try to stop it? And if you could maybe get into some of these um, activities where they're trying to establish laws to basically silence people from criticizing the Israeli apartheid. Um, That's a long question. Yeah, I think you have the answer though. Or Um, answers. Well, I think, first of all, why is it so threatening to Israel? Why has Israel mounted such a huge um, effort to discredit BDS? You know, when you say BDS, it sounds like some evil tool. When you look at what really is is included in BDS, it is simply the decisions of individuals and companies and governments about whether to support an activity. And we all have that right as Americans to decide what we will do with our money. And uh, only governments can impose sanctions, uh, but boycott and divestment are within the purview of individuals to as steps that we can take. Um, so when you deconstruct this acronym of BDS, it is simply, um, we're, we're simply talking about American freedom of choice to make their own economic decisions. And so it is very frightening to me to see that legislatures are passing laws that would prohibit this common sense activity. You know, um, there was something on the news the other night about uh, a kennel where dogs were being kept for medical research. And uh, it was a... uh, big scandal and that company was owned by a public company that's traded on nasdaq and the first thing i said to my husband was can we be sure we don't have stock in this pharmaceutical company because i don't want to have anything to do with this kind of of brutal treatment of animals that's just another example of how we exercise these freedoms all the time and this is the only freedom that BDS is talking about. I think it is very threatening to Israel because they do not want to change the prevailing attitudes of Americans about Israel always being in the right. And the BDS movement opens a door for examining what is really taking place in the region. And if the comparisons to South Africa are very frightening to the government of Israel, um, as they should be. But uh, those who are in the know, and in particular, a number of major um, human rights organizations like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, 
the Israeli organization, B'Tselem, mm-hmm. um, the United Nations have all come out and and explained the ways that this is so similar to, if not in some ways worse than the situation in South Africa was. So for Israel to be perceived that way, for Israel to see a change in public perception threatens the millions of dollars that we give to Israel every day, $10 million a day day, of American money. Right. Yeah. And I think that there is an economic fear, too, that, that this may affect the financial support that comes to Israel from com- countries like the United States. If you're just joining us, uh, again, this is True Talk on WMNFS. I'm speaking to Suzanne Hoder of uh, Partners for Palestine. It's a Florida organization that is uh, member-based, and she's on the board. Um, and, you know, one of their mission uh, items is to increase public awareness of Israel's apartheid practices and its regular violations of Palestinian human rights. And um, she was just telling us also about how they're involved in the BDS movement. There's actually laws. I, I think it's something like 30-some states have already passed laws that punish people that get involved in BDS from anywhere, from contractors that would um, do business with the state, for example, in the state of Florida or in Texas or other places where it would punish them if they somehow um, participate in boycotting. It's like, again, like you were saying, if I choose not to buy a product, that's my choice. Why should I get punished uh, for that? But you have laws now um, in different states, some, you know, three dozen states that would punish individuals um, in one instance, I think there was, um, you know, a teacher that in order to teach, because again, uh, she's, in a, you know, working in a government or a public school, they'd have to sign something saying that they would not boycott Israel. That's how, um, you know, how far they're willing to go, these legislators. And this is not in Israel. This is in America. Um, do you, are you often surprised of how far some of these politicians, whether in Washington or in Tallahassee, are willing to go? to protect the occupation, to support Israel in continuing to occupy Palestinians and violate their rights? Um, I'm, I have been surprised to some degree, but politicians respond to their constituents. And again, constituents generally have, have not been aware of the injustice that's taking place largely with the support of American dollars. So um, I think when constituents become more informed and begin to share their views with their elected officials, there will be a change. Um, we have to counter these laws because they are, they are unconstitutional. You cannot require a, an individual or a company to do business with an entity that they find is violating human rights or violating their principles. So um, I'm quite confident that once people begin to understand what the boycott movement is all about, um, they will have a different view and the politicians will respond. I will say that there is a film festival taking place um, in Winter Park, Florida, 
beginning the 19th of September. And on the 25th of September, there is a, a film called Boycott that is being shown at 3 p.m. September 25th. And uh, so you can find out more about it on our website. Uh, there will be a panel discussion afterwards. It's an opportunity to ask questions and to become more informed about this issue. What's the name of the, uh, is, is that film festival in Winter Park? Uh, maybe. I believe it's called the Global Peace Film Festival. Okay. Um, and uh, and I will have we will we will have uh, information about it on the website. I do encourage people to go to the website. It's put together totally by volunteers. What is the website? Volunteer group. What is the website? It, uh, yes, it's um, partnersforpalestine.org. Partnersforpalestine.org, and that P, that film festivals is up. Their website is peace film. Peacefilmfest.org. Peacefilmfest.org. It's in Winter Park, Florida. Starts, um, I guess, uh, September 18th to October 1st. And that's they're going to screen this film called Boycott that talks about this yes. topic? Okay. And that will take place only once during the festival. That's September 25th at 3 p.m. Um, I actually have some, uh, some callers, uh, if you don't mind taking their call. Um, this is Betty. From I hope you can hear her, Betty from uh, Sarasota. Hi, Betty. Hold on, I think um, just one second, Betty. Uh, Betty, go uh, ahead. We can hear you now. Yeah. Good. Good morning. Great. I've heard your program many, many times, and I really appreciate your caller. Um, I'm Jewish, and I actually lived in Israel for a while, and then went back on a mission uh, for three weeks with some uh, pro-Palestinian Jews, Israelis, and non-Jews. Uh, from Boston after reading Hanan Ashvawi's book. Anyway, to make a long story short, <clears throat> I do really uh, not agree, and it, I, I totally do not agree with Israel's treatment of the Palestinians, and I think the policies over these many decades have been, you know, just really, really terrible. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, the BDS, I think it's, I'm sort of, leaning towards it, but I'll tell you, it's, it's complicated because there are a ton of Arab Israelis who work in many of these, um, you know, uh, businesses and factories and so forth, so they actually get affected themselves. Their livelihoods could be affected. Um, I completely understand the sentiment behind BDS. I totally get it, absolutely. I'm one of these J Street people who um, really uh, want and, and need to call Israel on her on her, um, you know, missteps, and, and then some. Um, by the same token, there have been a lot of really, really deeply troubling things going on here and on in your university and college campuses, particularly in the United States, California, and other countries. Like what? A lot of Jews, like a lot of Jews have been harassed, mm. death threats, swastikas. Well, I'm sure you've heard about it. It's yeah. nothing new. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. I guess anyway, your dog um, agrees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this, yeah, so there are two sides to every story, but okay. I totally appreciate what you're Thank you so much. Uh, I, I can't, we can't have just the barking dog in the background, but thank you so much, Betty. Uh, Betty makes a valid point. I mean, you know, anti-Semitism is real. It exists. Uh, there's a lot of Jews in America that are under uh, attack, mostly by white supremacy. 
I mean, it's not Palestinians uh, that are the source of the hatred against. They're not the ones that have been, you know, doing the uh, white supremacy and attacking Jews. I mean, Jews and Palestinians lived side by side for uh, centuries, uh, mostly without uh, any issues. And in fact, if you look at the history, that many Muslims, uh, Arabs, uh, protected Jews, um, whether during um, you know different times uh, when Jews were persecuted in Europe, even during the Holocaust. Uh, your reaction, uh, Susan Hoder, Suzanne Hoder of Partners for Palestine. Well, we live in a time in America when hatred is so prevalent, and it, there is a tendency to um, identify people who are not like us, uh, who are different in some way uh, for uh, for criticism. And I do understand that the anti-Semitism is a very real phenomenon. I think the best way to counter this kind of horrible um, bias is for people to see Jews, Christians, Muslims, together um, taking part in justice movements, trying to change the situation for uh, the better for all people. And um, that just uh, heads off the, the kind of unfortunate criticism that's taking place. Um, I think that she has raised another very good point, and that is that some Palestinians lose their jobs when companies pull out of the West Bank and move back into uh, Israel or when companies shut down because of boycott or divestment. Um, and the Palestinian people as a whole have been loud and clear that they much prefer uh, the temporary dislocation of job loss to continued existence in this untenable situation where they are so discriminated against and where their children are unable to see a future of promise just because of the uh, nationality they were born to. So two points she, that Betty made, and I appreciate them both. And I, we all abhor anti-Semitism just like we do every form of racism. There's a lot of racism taking place in Israel as well. And our goal is to counter it wherever we find it and to make sure that people everywhere have equal rights. Well, um, I wanna leave it at that. Um, how can people find out more about your organization or get involved? Um, again, go to our website, uh, and it is partnersforpalestine.org, and you can check our Facebook page. Uh, we are just getting up and running with social media and um, would welcome the participation of others who share our goals. Um, we need people to help spread the word, and we um, would welcome more involvement by people of all faiths and all ages. Um, we have a phone number if you'd like it. It's 
407-293-8421. And again, that's on our website. So we hope to hear from more people. We hope to grow this movement for justice and equality and uh, just welcome new members anytime. Thank you so much, uh, Suzanne Hoder, for being with us and also your film that's going to be shown um, at the film festival in uh, Orlando uh, or Winter Park. They can find out more information by going to your website and hope to have you back on again in the future. Thank you for being on uh, True Talk on WMN. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, that was Suzanne Hoder. And um, I, I, Sean Kinnan, our news director, is in the studio coming in here with a posse with him. Um, are you so moved by the uh, by the show today or what's going on? I do want to say that your guest was excellent. Very good guest and a very good show, True Talk. And I'm here to tell you that um, we knew this months ago, but I'm finally getting to present this to you. Ahmed and Samar were the Public Affairs Volunteers of the Year at WMNF in 2022. And so I'm presenting Ahmed here. I'm I'm here with Julie, Miss Julie, who is the Volunteer Coordinator at WMNF. And I'm happy to present the 2021 Public Affairs Volunteer of the Year Award to Ahmed Badir of True Talk. So congratulations and thank you. Oh, wow. Thank you. And this is a microphone here. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Um, normally before that we had this, uh, used to have, uh, this event somewhere in, in, in person and then we'd go and then give a welcome, you know, we've been doing the, uh, since the, the COVID pandemic, we've been doing a zoom party in oh, April to okay. honor the volunteers. So we did honor you on that zoom, uh, event, but, uh, we're finally getting your trophy to you. So well, this is a beautiful trophy. Uh, thank you so much. It's a trophy that is shaped like a silver mic. Uh, I can always just talk into it <laughs> and, um, you know, pretend I'm on this show when I do my TikToks. But thank you so much. You know, I've been on this uh, station involved since 2003. Um, it was a great opportunity then. I continue to dedicate time, Summer and I, because of uh, the reach that it has and the value that WMNF brings to the community. And because, of course, the listener supporters that are always supporting us. And uh, but thanks again for the opportunity. And thank you to our listener supporters. I couldn't have... Uh, done it without your help. Yeah, thanks to all of our True Talk fans and continue to support shows like True Talk so that we can bring you great radio like Ahmed and Samar bring you every Thursday morning. Thanks so much, Ahmed. Thanks, and um, thanks to Sean, Julie, and um, uh, Mike, Mike, who's uh, recording this uh, (laughs) presentation. Thanks so much. All right. And he's coming up after this, after NPR, which is about to start right now, so I have to get off. Uh, Thanks again, and yes, uh, congratulations to WMNF and myself. Thanks. Legal ID. Uh, yeah, legal ID. I almost forgot the legal ID, which is WMNF Tampa. Legally, we have to say that. Um, otherwise, we get in trouble with uh, somebody. And NPR News is now. Take care. Have a great weekend, everyone.